right. Uh, good morning, Christ Church. How is everyone doing today? Good, good. Um, so I'm excited to be here on stage again this morning to uh, share with you the message, the Word of God. Uh, but before I go into the message today, uh, just a couple of things. Um, first of all, Gary Clark told me uh, that the bulletins that were left on the desk out there in the lobby are actually last week's bulletin. Uh, so make sure that you check the date if you're following along in the outline, uh, that it's not last week's bulletin. Make sure it's today's. And if you want today's bulletin, there are some on the small tables back there where the communion is. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I, I told everybody that. Also, uh, I know yesterday uh, we, we have some soccer players in, uh, amongst us the, this morning. And, uh, oh, she's in kids' church. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, Caroline Gibbs, Mia Seiler, Addison Parker, and their assistant coach, Paul Gibbs, they won the state championship for Christ's Covenant Girls uh, soccer team yesterday. So, yeah, give it up for them. And when you see Caroline or any of them uh, sometime, just congratulate them, uh, okay, for for. Uh, an awesome accomplishment there. Uh, the last thing, uh, some of you guys know uh, Stuart Woodley and his family. Uh, who knows Stuart? Raise your hand. All right, awesome, awesome. So uh, Stuart is the preacher over at the University Church of Christ here in Greenville, uh, right on Greenville Boulevard. Uh, anyway, you, you may remember back in the year 2019 when his son, Caleb, did a little bit of an internship with myself and our youth ministry straight out of high school. Do some of you remember that? All right, so, uh, well, if you don't, it's okay. Uh, but Caleb, ever since then, he's been going to Bible college to be a youth minister out at Johnson University uh, out there in East Tennessee. Um, but Caleb plans to graduate this coming December, but before he can do that, he needs a, an official or school-sanctioned uh, internship, okay? So guess what? Uh, so starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, Caleb, uh, on Monday, May the 8th, will be doing his official youth ministry internship here at Christ Church. So if you see Caleb on a Sunday morning or another day during the week, uh, say hey to him. Uh, introduce yourselves to him. Uh, there's this picture up there. I don't know what he's looking at uh, up there in that picture. Um, but, uh, but he's going to be with us for 10 to 11 weeks this summer. So uh, just, I I'm sure you will, but just make sure you make Caleb feel at home uh, here at Christ Church. All right, so uh, let's move on. Uh, so who can tell me what book of the Bible that we have been looking at since Easter? James, that's right. Uh, it's been the book of James, and today I'm excited to share with you because it's the largest section of the book of James that we will be covering in this series. So I pray that y'all packed some food. I pray that y'all brought your overnight stuff because uh, we may be here for a while. Are you ready? <laughs> um, all right, so I think it's the normal length uh, of a regular Christchurch sermon. Well, I think it is anyway. Um, so uh, you guys are off the hook. Uh, but seriously, uh, pay close attention to the message, to the words this morning. Stay focused and listen to the words that the Lord has given me to share with you today. But hey, speaking of words, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about this morning. 
The big idea this morning is words are incredibly powerful and carry in them both life and death. That's deep stuff right there. Words carry life and death. As you probably already know, uh, the book of James spends a lot of time, probably close to a third of the book, devoted to the words that we speak, how we speak, and why we speak. And as I'm sure you also know, words are powerful. I mean, I just told you the big idea today, uh, you know, for today's message, that words are powerful. American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne he once said, words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent and evil they come in the hands of someone who knows how to combine them. Isn't that the truth? Words can be evil and they can be destructive. Honestly, if you ever lived through the junior high or the middle school years, you know this. You know this to be true. I mean, some of you are living through those years right now. You know how true this is. You know, words can be evil and they can be destructive. But words can also be life-giving, creative, and just simply wonderful. You know, think back for a moment about a time when someone spoke encouraging and life-changing words to you. And how amazing that was. You know, think about the little pep talk that your baseball coach gave you as you were on deck. The bases might have been loaded. And you, and you stepped up, maybe it's like the bottom of the seventh or the bottom of the ninth, whatever kind of league that you're playing. And you stepped up and you got a hit. Or even better, you got a home run. And you won the game for your team. Think about that. Think about the moment when you found out that you got accepted into that college or that university that you always wanted to go to. Think about the vows that your spouse spoke to you on your wedding day. Think about the moment when you heard parents, it's a boy or it's a girl. These situations, these words were life changing or encouraging to you. I'm sure you can think of many other words, too, that were encouraging to you as well. Thinking about words today, we know that from the book of Genesis that God literally spoke the earth, the world, into existence. Psalm 33 and verse 9 tells us, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Words are powerful. Words have meaning. An ill-timed or perfectly, perfectly timed word spoke, spoken to another can impact them for the rest of their lives. Think, of that, think about that for a moment. You can change the course or the route of someone's life by simply the way that you speak to them. This might have been some of the reasons behind why James, the first preacher of the church in Jerusalem and the half-brother of Jesus, why he devoted so much time to this very subject. And because this is the largest section of the book of James that we're going to cover in this series, I'm going to tackle the chapters in bigger chunks 
to see what James has to teach us about two things, speaking and boasting. So today we're going to start by reading James chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the, the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider that a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James begins this section here at the start of chapter 3, uh, making a point about the judgment that teachers, or let me say this, preachers, youth ministers, small group leaders, those who work at youth camps, etc., the judgment that these kind of people were incurred because of their position, which wouldn't make a ton of sense if it wasn't connected to the rest of the chapter where we learn just how powerful words are. And of course, words are the primary medium through which teachers teach and preachers preach. Maybe James is trying to acknowledge just how serious this situation is by revealing the weight of the responsibility that he himself, as a preacher of that church in Jerusalem, carried. I don't know. But either way, he immediately moves on in verse 2 saying that we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is, who is never at fault in what they say, they're perfect. They're able to keep their whole body in check. So in simple, term, in simple terms, if you are able to control your mouth and everything that comes out of it, you can control anything. You have reached the journey, the end of the journey, which is perfection. All of us have said things that we wish we could take back or change. Am I right? You know, even though the tongue is such a small part of our bodies, the tongue can have immeasurable impact, immeasurable impact. James goes on to give three practical examples in verses 3 through 5 in what we just read about how something large and powerful is controlled by a comparably tiny or small thing. Hopefully you remember what those three things were. First one was a horse's bit. Second was the rudder of a ship and even a small spark. These things are used to make a point. All of these things are ultimately under the control or will of somebody else. It's a good reminder that we do have a role to play in all of this. We have a responsibility over our words, our tongues, and the choice to use them for profit or destruction in the kingdom of God. And what is the potential for disaster here? Why is this such a big deal? All you have to do is read verse 6 
and think about all the ways that the tongue is described in just one verse. We're going to read the entirety of that verse. Then I'm going to go back and, and reread it, but a little slower. So James 3 and verse 6, this is what it says. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So, all right, let's go back and read it again. We're going to slow it down a little bit, and let's see how the tongue is described. So the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil. It's set among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. This one part has the ability to stain and pollute all the other parts of our anatomy. The tongue setting on fire the entire course of one's life. And this is better translated as a circle of life. Uh, which, shows, which shows the tongue's ability to spread evil beyond just the individual and literally to everything in its sphere of influence. It also is set on fire by hell. The tongue has a unique potential to unleash hell on other people. Man, that's an intimidating list, right? And the point that James is trying to make is getting clearer and clearer by all these words. No human has been able to tame the tongue ever. Say ever. In fact, verses 9 and 10 says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Think about the time that you're cruising down Fire Tower Road. Maybe you're listening, maybe you're singing to that favorite Christian song or that favorite worship song that you like, and then all of a sudden, a car switches lanes without giving you any notice. Or maybe they pull out right in front of you, and uh, the temptation after that to say something, man, it's there. Or maybe to use a certain finger. I think we all know which finger that we're talking about. You know, it's, it's not this one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the temptation is there. I'm sure we've all been there. And that's what James is saying here. Out of the same mouth comes praise, but also cursing. When you and I curse others, and then sing praises out of the very exact same mouth. It sends the wrong message to other people. But worst of all, it reminds us of our inherent sinful nature. Yes, we are new creations. Yes, we are being sanctified. And yes, God will bring us through trial and suffering all the way to perfection. But our words, they often remind us in very painful ways just how rotten and how awful that we can be to each other. 
All right, so let's look at and, and read a very large chunk of James. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, James 3, 13, all the way through chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, so here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and, and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows for or to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So what's the antidote to all of this ugliness? James says it's three things. Humility, meekness, and kindness. Verse 10 told us to humble ourselves before the Lord. And he will lift us up. Instead of using the words lift up there, you can also use exalt or even raise up. Isn't it true that so many of our arguments and divisions stem from a place where we want something? Where we have a hole in our lives that needs to be filled. Speaking of which, you know, I think about or, or I've heard about some people you know, maybe their church is about to have a remodel. <laughs> uh, you know, some, some renovation done. And how people, they can't agree on the chair color. If it's pews or chairs. The carpet color, the paint color, stuff like that. Or, you know, I've heard this too. People get upset because a guest or visitor takes their regular seat. So do you know what I'm talking about? You know, arguments and divisions start because of stuff like this. And it's all, 
it's all because people want something. Whether it's to be seen as smart or funny or wise, maybe it's to be wealthy and powerful or healthy or free-spirited. Whatever the case may be, we often use our words to try and accomplish for ourselves what we never would be able to do on our own. So we do these things through our own words. We want wholeness. We want peace. We want contentment. Yet somehow, ironically, we cause so much destruction in our own pursuit. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. Do not slander one another. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? These couple of verses are a great reminder of what Jesus himself shares with us in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with, this, and, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is the only true judge of the thoughts, of the motives, of the intentions of others. You know, when we speak evil, uh, revile, or slander on another person, we aren't speaking kingdom life, heavenly life, into them. To the very opposite or extreme, we are speaking the language of Satan or the devil himself when we do such things. His native language, the devil's native language, is death, condemnation, shame, slander, and also destruction. And none of us, say none, none of us want to be a part of that. Or we should. We shouldn't want to be a part of that. We've got to resist him and resist the temptation to speak like the devil. My friends, we have to run away from the devil and anything that he's all about. You know, sadly, I've gotten caught up in, in, in something like this before. You know, I'm guilty of it myself. You know, while this occasion wasn't audible or in words that were spoken out loud, they were on a Facebook post. Someone from our church saw the words and they called me out regarding the words that I used. And you know what? I really appreciate that person calling me out about that. We all need accountability, even ministers. We all need accountability. The words I posted should have never been posted. And, and I admit that. They should have never been posted. I don't want words that I say out loud or in a Facebook post to be damaging to anybody. You know, I don't want that at all. And from this instance or this occurrence, you know, I learned a lesson. You know, I need to speak life, spiritual life, kingdom life into people. Speak like Jesus always. So I'm preaching to myself. And I want to tell you too, church, weigh your words carefully. Weigh your words carefully. Because with the measure you use, talking about words, it will be measured, like Jesus said, right back at you. 
James 4 and verses 13 through 17 reads this. Uh, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry out business and make money. Why do you, e why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's in the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And where do things like boasting come from? How about arrogance? You guessed it, straight out of mouth. Straight out of mouth, especially, specifically, our mouths. With all these examples that you, you have been given today through chapters 3 and 4 of James, it's easy to see why he, talking about James, is so passionate about these things. But the last example brings up something else about our speech that is so important to remember. And it has to do with the power and the supremacy of God. How many of us have spoken pretty clear, carefree about all the things that we're going to do? You've you just spoken pretty carefree about all the things that you're going to do. All the projects that you're going to com complete, so forth and so on, things like that. How many of us have done that before? We often talk as if we have control over the future as if we can simply speak things into existence like God himself did. For example, oh, when I get that boat or when I, when I get that 2,000 square foot deck added to my uh, house overlooking my backyard, first of all, that is a big deck. <laughs> we say those things like it's going to actually be a thing. Like we can speak them into existence or something like that. You know, the truth is, like James says, we are just a mist that's here for a little while and poof, it vanishes. From dust we came and to dust we will return. In light of this reality, what we should be saying is that we will do this and we will do that or such as this or such as that if it's in the Lord's will. I realize that it might sound odd to put it like that, even off-putting to others, but maybe doing something like this will keep us in our right place and it will keep God in his right place. And I hope that you can do this. I hope that you, you can say it like that. Oh, I want to get a boat, or I'm going to get a new car, or a new house, or whatever the case may be, if it's in the Lord's will. Maybe a little reverence should, should uh, or could go a long way. A little reverence could go a long way. Both in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us, too. The truth is, we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think we can agree it's somewhat foolish of us to talk about next summer's trip in 2024 that we're going to take this trip to Aruba. Because here's the truth. We don't know. We don't know. 
But there is somebody that does know, and that somebody is God. God knows. And God is supreme, and God is sovereign. Psalm 121 reminds us that God watches over us from the morning to the evening. Lamentations chapter 3 also says this, that his loving mercy and kindness are fresh every morning. Also, there's other parts of the Bible, God's word, that has lots to say about how we should use our words. It's a very common subject. Here are a few gold nuggets of wisdom for you from one of uh, the chapters in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, verse 2 reads this, uh, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Verse 4 says, The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is rushing strength, or is a rushing stream. Verse 6 says, The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. Verse 7 says, the mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Jumping to verse 20. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. And finally, verse 21 there in chapter 18. Their tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So as we close uh, this morning, if you haven't already figured it out by now, like uh, verse 21 in Proverbs 18 said, death and life are truly in the power of the tongue. With our mouths, we praise God the Father in one setting, and then in another, we curse our neighbor. I think if James were here with us today, he'd say, church, we can do better. We can do better. And the upside for this here in the 21st century is that we have a whole lot of other new mediums where we can practice being humble and kind through the words that we speak. You know, I mentioned this one earlier, Facebook. That's one. That's a big one. And other social media platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, you know, all these platforms we can use to try to practice uh, humility and also kindness. We also have mediums like email and review sites like Yelp. These are places and there are spaces where we as believers, as Christ followers, can enter in and shine the light of Jesus in all these different uh, mediums and platforms and things. These are places where we can uh, be quick to listen and slow to get angry. Places where the words of life are so abundantly necessary. How many of you guys have been on social media this past week and you're like, man, um, this world needs Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So let me challenge you just through social media to be a light for Jesus and speak life. Speak Christian life. Speak kingdom life through your post on social media. So, you know, with this in mind, I want to challenge you, not just through social media, but this coming week, to be more intentional, say intentional, with your words. 
Let them be life-giving and uplifting to other people. Let them be encouraging and filled with humility. Emily Dickinson, uh, she's a well-known poet here in our country. Uh, she once said this, a word is dead when it is said some way. I say it just begins to live that day. Let me read that one more time. A word is dead when it is said some, some way. I say it just begins to live that day. Let your words come to life this week. Whether they're audible words or posted somewhere. And set them free. Set the words free to give life, kingdom life, to others. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for uh, just this message this morning. God, uh, you know, I, I shared an example of my own life today. And, and, you know, I need to be reminded by this. And all of us need to be reminded of this about the words that we used, whether they're audible words, whether they're posted somewhere. God, I just pray and I challenge myself and everybody here that we can use words that uplift, words that are encouraging, words that you know, bring people closer to having a relationship with you God, I know we all struggle. We all, things happen in our lives. But let us truly try to work on this today, starting today and throughout this week. God, we also saw where, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. So God, may the words that we speak today bring us closer to you and bring others closer to you. Thank you so much for, for James, that he wrote these words to us. Let us read them. Let us apply them to our lives. God, I pray that all of us can do that. Just be with us now, my God. I pray all this in your name. Amen.